0: Welcome to the Diesel Performance Podcast, a production of Calibrated Power Solutions, home of Duramaxtuner.com, a company and brand dedicated to emissions-equipped diesel performance for Duramax, Cummins, John Deere, TDI, and many more, makers of Stealth Series turbos and DT Series built Allison transmissions. In this episode, we welcome General Motors Chief Engineer and Program Manager of Duramax, Nicola Menarini, who has nearly three decades of worldwide diesel industry experience.
1: I started as a young engineer working on diesel engines, and I'm still here. This is an exciting world.
0: General Motors' investment in diesel continues to grow with three engines now in production. The next generation Duramax, the 6.6 liter L5P, the 2.8 liter, and the 1.6 liter known as the Whisper Diesel. So let's get started.
2: Thank you for joining us again. This is Paul Wilson,
3: and I'm Danny Voss, and Nick Priggett.
2: and you're listening to the Diesel Performance Podcast. Uh, all of the UCC interviews have just been going great lately. LaVon Miller, D Rose, Randy Ray's. I mean, they're just they're constantly pouring in, huh, Danny?
3: Who's going to throw the best hail mary? Oh, I don't. You know what I love to hear
2: is that nobody has their truck together yet. You included, huh, Nick? Yeah, I'm a member of that uh, truck not together yet crowd. That's How right. do you love that? It's it's because if you're going to the UCC, you're building something that nobody's done before. You're building something that's amazing. This is like the top one percent of trucks in the country. I don't. Uh, I think if you already have it together, you're not trying hard enough.
4: That's my thought. Yeah, yeah. It's always going to come down to the line on something like this. Yeah.
2: So really excited for that. Um, of course, we just had Gail Banks on. That was a great episode. If you guys haven't had a chance to listen to it, jump in there. Gail's got all sorts of new information out there about the L5P. So really excited for that. Of course, guys, if you're listening to the podcast, you probably have a diesel truck. You probably need that tuned. Call over to Duramax Tuner or Calibrated Power. We're going to do 10% off for any of your tuning products. Uh, trucks, tractors, cars, whatever we're tuning for you, semi- we'll give you 10% off. That's right.
3: Don't forget about our semis. That's
2: right. Semis, heavy-duty, over-the-road stuff. So really excited for that. Call in. you can work with any sales rep. Uh, Just use the podcast coupon, podcast. Or you can ask for myself, Paul Wilson, extension 2122.
3: And I'm 2124,
2: and I'm Danny. That's right, Danny boy. Uh, Today, though, really excited. We have kind of a whole new genre of guest on today, don't we, guys? We're taking it up a level. Absolutely. So we contacted over to GM and we said, hey, we want to talk to the guy in charge of all the Duramaxes. And they said, okay. So today we are being joined by Nicola Menarini. Do I have that pronounced right, sir? Perfect. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Good
2: morning. Thank you. No problem. No problem. You know, Nicola, we're really excited to talk to you. As as we understand, you are the chief engineer of the new generation Duramax. A lot of experience in the 2.8 liter Colorado and Canyon platform, which we love here. Um, And as well as I hear there's some new news out about the cruise diesel. So awesome. Well, I I know we're going to dive into all of that. But first, can you give us a little bit of your background so our listeners know uh, where you're coming from?
1: Thank you. Thanks uh, for this opportunity. Good morning, uh, Nicola Menarini. I'm Italian, perhaps easy to understand. Uh, (laughs) I've joined uh, General Motors uh, in 2008 uh, and I am a 29-year-old guy in the diesel field. I started as a young engineer working on diesel engines and I'm still here. Uh, This is an exciting world and... uh, uh, as, uh, as I said, uh, I started uh, long ago in, uh, in Italy, working on diesel engines. So I had the pleasure to work with many of the automata- automakers. From the late eighties, uh, I worked with uh, Chrysler, Alfa Romeo, uh, Rover in England, uh, and many other, including GM. Not only in automotive, I also had uh, I also had the opportunity to work uh, um, for a short time back in the late nineties with the Detroit Diesel, I worked for Roger Penske, and uh, still, I mean, getting a, a lot out of my experience with Detroit Diesel in the heavy duty world. Uh, later, I joined General Motors, and I've been in charge for several years, as you anticipated, of the 2.8 liter, which is currently used on the Colorado Canyon, as of 16, uh, 16 Colorado Canyon, we recently launched here in the U.S., and that uh, has been uh, a really a home run for us. Uh, we we introduced that uh, that engine uh, earlier in uh, countries outside of uh, the United States, and uh, introduced it uh, into the U.S. when we thought it was mature to enter this market. Um, as uh, as we uh, we were saying also, we have some kind of common strategy and approach to. Um, the diesel um, world into the united states as you have anticipated of course we're talking about the duramax today where the colorado canyon they are already available uh, so a little more than a year ago if i recall correctly into the u.s market and the good news what we really are uh, happy about is the result we just achieved uh, on the new uh, cruise which uh, has hit uh, 52 miles per gallon highway and it is the highest non-hybrid, non-EV mileage ever in the United States. So we're very, very proud of the, this uh, uh, new diesel engine that will be available to Chevrolet customers uh, here in the U.S. very, very soon. Also with the manual transmission, get some customers hey. will really... Nice. Yeah.
2: That, that, that's huge that's huge you can, that's one of the, the big <laughs> things I mean a, a manual transmission in a little car love it
1: yeah yeah uh, you remember we had a, a, a cruise with the diesel two years ago oh, available yeah. in the US and some customers were really requesting why you guys are not offering a manual transmission so okay the customer input went into planning and uh, now it's a reality and um of course, it's available with automatic transmission, uh, but now the customer can choose between the two alternatives.
4: Yeah, we like for that. For a little car, we like For that. a
1: little car, a small car like the Cruze is small and comfortable. The, the, the manual transmission may maybe maybe something that uh, some of the customers would like. It's it's fun to drive, and maybe with the manual transmission could be maybe a little more fun to drive. It's very high torque engine, 240 foot pounds. Wow! Uh, despite the small displacement and uh, very very quiet. Uh, I mean, I- in Europe it's already used and it's called the, the Whisper Diesel. Right. Uh, is this a
4: difficult. is this a version of the same 2.8 or 2.0 liter that you that you guys were using in was it 14 or 15?
1: No, it's a totally new engine okay. developed. Uh, IGM really focusing on the lightweight, high uh, performance NVH, and definitely fuel economy. It's already uh, it's on sale uh, in Europe uh, as a uh, few years ago, and even in this case, we wanted to gain experience in other markets before launching it uh, into US. And now we are here. We are is the cruise.
4: Can you tell it's us, available. Nicola, what? What is, um, when you say launch in other markets, like you know the same way with the 2.8 liter, so GM took the 2.8 liter globally before it came to the U.S., yes. and it sounds like you did the same strategy with the cruise. Yes. What are the unique challenges of the U.S. market?
1: Well, for sure, the U.S. market is uh, very challenging uh, in terms of uh, emission compliance, and, and clearly the highest quality standards have to be met. So, um, especially in recent times, we put particular attention to develop. Uh, Systems and we entering also the control area, not just the typical order of the engine, which can be absolutely um, robust and safe and compliant to the very restrictive U.S. Um, emission requirements. We entered, for example, the the the, the 1.6, for example, it was already born as a Euro 6, so in okay. a pretty advanced uh, emission uh, capability level, and. Uh, And then was developed to to enter into the U.S. uh, Just a a couple of years. uh, Yeah, the
4: Euro Six is a very stringent
1: emissions level. Um, Very stringent. So um, it was it it was launched in Europe in two thousand thirteen, and the end of two thousand thirteen, and gaining the experience throughout uh, the Opel brand and uh, and. it's not only in Europe, but because we also sell it uh, in other countries, in Korea, for example, very well accepted.
4: Yeah, yeah,
1: and so so this is uh, it, it's not so different from what we did uh, on the on the 2.8. Actually, the 2.8 we launched uh, in early 2012 in South America and Asia, including Australia, very very demanding markets in the, in other. In this case, it's a Euro four and Euro five configuration. And then we decided to bring it into into u s. on the Colorado and Canyon.
2: Very good. That's yeah, with the void that, Volkswagen is leaving right now. I definitely see the appeal for like GM moving into these smaller vehicles and and something that's more consumer friendly. Uh, you had mentioned reliability, fuel mileage and performance. How far do you guys push yourself? How long does testing or developing take on a, on a small platform like that? Is it is it more testing because it's smaller components compared to like say the new generation Duramax, the L five P, or are they about the same?
1: I would say that the, the, the durability, the validation, the development testing are tuned um, to the engine and to the vehicle. So, for example, our tests are not uh, identical. Um, if we have to test uh, a little MDE, the so-called MDE, mid-size diesel engine or the Duramax, they are different uh, based on uh, the weight of the car, based on the performance of the vehicle. So there's some tuning that are part of our standards into the, the development. Conceptually, in terms of criteria, they're exactly the same. But uh, slight adjustments, slight difference in the number of durability cycles, extension of the of the time of the durability it, it, it's tuned to the, the kind of vehicle that will have to use this
4: engine yeah that makes sense can I uh, can I shift your focus a little bit Nicola to the uh, to the, the power curve of the engine right so the when you guys are designing the you know what what spectrum the engine operating in um, how it's going to perform in the vehicle how are the how are the 2.8 liter and the and the 6.6 the same how are they different? You know, what uh, What special considerations do you have for a heavy-duty platform uh, versus
1: a 2.8? Well, of, of course, uh, the, the, the heavy-duty platform has a different, uh, different demand. We, we we consider that, to be honest, the heavy-duty platform was o- already in the U.S. since a uh, long time ago, many years ago. Right. The 2.8 came after, so we thought the 2.8 could have been, uh, let me say, the young brother. Okay. So, um, clearly, the, for example, uh, features like um, trailer towing capability, uh, exhaust braking, uh, we push ourselves to um, to the maximum uh, that, that could benefit uh, the, the 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 customers, the Chevrolet and GMC customers that do heavy towing on the heavy duty. On the midsize, we're performing very well, I would say, but we're not pushing ourselves to the same extent for for the simple reason that. Uh, we have to dimension many components, for example, that we can do it on a 6.6. We cannot do it on a 2.8. So uh, it's, I would say, a a, a transition um, and downsizing of uh, the performance, they say the uh, trailer towing and exhaust braking performance is transitioned. Um, If the example works, Proportionally to the engine displacement.
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Now, you have quite a bit of a history in building calibrations for uh, OEM. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. I, I, um, maybe 25 years ago, I was doing calibration myself, so I've been always quite close in my role to how the calibration is developed, and that's a key feature, uh, especially in current times.
4: And you're currently, you know, as you orchestrate these platforms and you bring the the mechanical side into the calibration side, what kind of feedback are you getting from customers? You know, what 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 are the demands on the two point eight as far as like transient response or on the on the heavy duty platform? Like, what are customers pulling from you guys? You know, what is yeah, the, the what's the struggle?
1: The, the 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 transit performance is something we we really um, do our very best in order to to give the, the best feeling, I would say, the drivability feeling for our customers of Chevrolet and, and GMC. Not always easy, I would say, in very honestly, on a diesel engine, on a turbocharger, because uh, um, not that we have the turbo lag, but in order to give the best, uh, the best acceleration, we should have a boost available. And if you push the pedal wide open from idle, at particularly low level, it is necessary, and this is physics, sometime, for the turbo to start spinning fast and, and boosting and pushing air into the manifold. So, uh, but there is a, a lot we can do in the in terms of calibration. Also, we were to control um, to control the air fuel ratio during the transient performance. Uh, because uh, if we do not uh, tune the air fuel ratio in a, in a very accurate way, we risk path or smoke. We won't, the of smoke is clearly not visible anymore on these, because right. we have trap filters, but the physics is the same. And we want also our customers to have a long enough region interval, um, which at the end of the day is uh, influencing a little bit to the fuel consumption. Yeah. So it's, it's a fine-tuning, and also, for example, the, uh, gear ratios, drive ratios play a good role.
4: I, I, like what you're, I like what you're going with there, and you guys have stayed with the Allison 6-speed for 17 years now or the allison transmission now the six-speed um, so, far. so the uh, the gear ratios seem to be working for you um, the transient response in the l5p is is much improved i'll say over the previous generations the truck feels snappier it feels like it has more torque um, from a driver perspective i would say it's it's much improved uh, more Wait. so than the power numbers would indicate even
1: yeah, the power is always a number that is nice to see, but at the end of the day, it's up there at <laughs> maximum RPM. Right, exactly. So what the, the customers feel, this is even more valid for a diesel. any diesel engine, is the torque. And, not, and not maybe not even the peak torque, but the torque and the wind. And this is what we have been working on in all our applications. Um, because sometimes you can say, I oh, have an automatic transmission, so you don't need the, the torque at low end." That's not true. That's not true, and this is why you can find also on the Duramax a brand new turbocharger, which which is uh, um, offering uh, um, a better transient response. We have uh, positioned it uh, closer to the exhaust liner to minimise, the, say, the the impact of the gas column and the potentially transient uh, say re- delay in the in the gas flow to the turbo. So this is one of the reasons, and plus we are say as always. Uh, Applying uh, the, the enhancement that the technology is bringing forward, and the turbo is, of course, one of the one of the tools that we have to give a, um, a better drivability to our to our customers.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I I love that 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 that's a good segue. That, that Borg Warner turbocharger <laughs> and that response, right? I mean, yeah. well, that that's yeah. it. You know, we noticed that there was there was a
2: big change in turbocharging. Um, When the L5P came out, that was probably one of the first things that we spotted was getting away from the previous stuff and now having a Borg Warner in there. Also, we noticed that the emissions equipment placement changed around a little bit. And I'm wondering, does the emissions equipment, is that a factor you have to work against or fight against to get transient response? And I think, can I just clear it up for our newer listeners? Transient response, that's throttle response. is really what we're talking about here.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, emission is first. Um, And the treasure response uh, is uh, to be tuned accordingly. I I would not say that uh, the the after treatment which we have is uh, uh, too much influencing in a negative way the the treasure performance. You you can very clearly see that on L5P the the architecture of our treatment is totally different. What you will observe immediately the enormous <laughs> the catalyst that we have positioned <laughs> yeah. in the middle of the V. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> that's really that's really key for a uh, mission. That's only a, a, a DOC. So it's being a catalyst, is not a trap, it's not a filter, it's not an SCR. It takes care of unburned gases. And more than that, being so close to the turbine, it helps to keep the temperature of the exhaust high, which is fundamental for what is happening downstream of the DOC on the line. In order to have the best conversion efficiency of both the PM and also the NOx, which is the enemy of the diesel in this, uh, in this period, we have to keep the exhaust temperature high. So having a catalyst just behind, just downstream the turbocharger, very close, actually, Connected to the turbocharger, there's no distance. Right, just the clamping in between. Yeah, it helps a lot to keep the temperature high.
4: And when you say keep the temperature high, is there a time? Like, what I've noticed in driving and observing exhaust gas temperatures on the on the uh, LML and uh, you know the newer emissions equipped trucks, I haven't got a chance to look at the L5P yet. Is that the truck is? is trying to get the, the after-treatment to 550 to 600 degrees as quickly as it can, and it seems uh, most frustrated with me when it's cold.
1: Uh, it's, absolutely true. It's really uh, you're to get t- true. You're absolutely true. There are specific, specific strategies in the fuel injection system in order in the first seconds or minutes of the cold operation to keep to warm up the exhaust and then warm up the, 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 the DOC as quick as possible, and this is in fact very important. Our uh, development goal is to have the exhaust warm, uh, hot, uh, in the temperature range you just mentioned, as quick as possible, and keep it during engine operation.
2: You you mentioned the fuel injection system. Speaking of changes that we've noticed directly, um, we noticed that there was a big change in the injectors. The current Denso injection system, how has that helped the emissions equipment and the performance of the L5P?
1: Well, the, the DENSO, the, first of all, I mean, we're talking about uh, uh, 2000 bar, and we're talking about uh, um, a, a system which uh, is developed, uh, and is currently, you can find it on, uh, not just on, on, on the Duramax. Uh, th- this is uh, this is a system that we developed in collaboration with DENSO, and... Uh, not a coincidence that you can find that there something very similar in the 1.6 we just discussed before and in the 2.8. Okay. Um, it's a, it's an, a solenoid fuel injector, fuel, uh, uh, fuel injection. Fuel injectors are solenoid driven. Right. Um, we did not really find much advantage, uh, especially with this latest generation solenoid versus the piezo. So this is why our, our decision was to go straight to, to the solenoid and we have uh of course uh, the, the 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 real important uh, um activity that was done on all the three engines that you can find on our on our vehicles on the cruise colorado equinox even equinox we we didn't mention um in silverado and and i just forgot that uh, there may be a van that you guys see very we'll see very soon uh they have to be tuned together with our uh, controller and our strategy. So we built the strategy, the control, the calibration, really tuned to the hardware of injection system. And this is um, a winning point.
2: Okay, okay, I like that. I, I think we, we just let slip there, and I don't know how many of you guys are following kind of the overseas diesel industry, yeah. but we've we've heard rumors about the Trailblazer, trail the Equinox, and now the van. Um, obviously GM is, is from a position that diesel is taking off what what kind of changes are you seeing um, from the calibration side? So as you guys are tuning these from the smaller engines compared to the bigger engines, what kind of big changes do you have to make?
1: Uh, I would say that uh, calibration is very much vehicle-dependent. If you um, There are a lot of features that are in the engine, but uh, they are vehicle-dependent, and if we go also a little bit outside the U.S., they're very much emission rule dependent. So for example, we if we take the Colorado for US and um, we test it on a Euro six, for example, we have to do some work to optimise it. So it's it's engine related, it's vehicle related and integration related. I mean devices like just a simple example, the air cleaner, air cleaner box. We have a mass, as you know, mass air flow uh, sensor into the uh, air induction. That's basics to have a perfect functionality of our system. So, for example, just to give you an example, even a small change to the um, air filter box, maybe just to the cartridge, kind of cartridge, can influence the way the sensor is reading the air flow and then the way the system is reacting the, to airflow changes and adjusting fueling and exhaust gas recirculation so it's very much also related to the vehicle itself and the, the interfaces between the vehicle and the engine
4: I'm, I'm glad you brought up the mass airflow sensor on the on these trucks because we we've noticed noticed in the past that even <clears throat> you know it's very common for aftermarket uh, installs of of uh uh, air filtration upgrades or changes, and it's 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 interesting to see how how quickly you can throw that system off by uh, misreporting yeah, yeah. the mass airflow. Absolutely, right. um,
1: I want to. Uh, we we just to give you an example. We control um, the si- the system tolerance very very carefully. We need to ensure that the combination of the sensor itself and uh, the induction system, which is a plastic box with a rubber hose they have to be within very very strict dimensional tolerances in order to guarantee that the reading of the sensor is accurate with a very small deviation sensor to sensor which we call it the min max adjustment
4: okay. okay okay that's good to know um going back to the calibration side nicola uh, there's been a tendency in the past uh, you know 10 years to go from 23000 psi uh, to 26,000 PSI and now to, to 2,000 bar, sorry, to switch units on here 29,000 PSI uh, and to, to continue to increase the number of injection pulses per stroke. Right. so to, to control NOx emissions or uh, NVH. Do you see this trend continuing or are we at a good point now, a good stopping point? You know, is, is 2,000 bar
1: it? We, we will probably see in the next year's uh, higher numbers. Okay. Um, of course, we are, no, no need to, to deny, we are working uh, to uh, injection, uh, injection pressures that are higher than 2,000. And um, I'm not able to tell you whether it will be 2,200 or 2,500 or so. It, it very much depends on what we can offer in a reliable way to our Chevrolet and GMC customers uh, in the future. We definitely will offer products with higher than 2,000 bar in the near future. So far, what we've been able to achieve with the 2,000 bar, which is 29,000 psi, if I'm not wrong, you're right. Um, it's it's okay for uh, for the current need, but as uh, emission requirements will continue to be uh, more challenging for us, um, the, the availability of higher pressures give to our calibration and um, after treatment development folks more freedom to to work around uh, and, and be able to achieve what we need to achieve uh, in, in, shaping in a peak best cylinder possible pressure, way right? yeah. exactly
2: yeah okay nicola you had mentioned uh pushing the envelope and still testing reliability now we know that there are no sae standard reliability testing really out there right so how do you guys really feel about reliability how do you guys kind of respond when guys ask you about the reliability of the engine
1: we 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 have uh, i mean we have our standards that are uh, say based on what we believe the the, the durability durability is one thing by reliability is slightly different if we, if we talk about reliability clearly we adopt a, all the quality standards that GM has developed throughout the years uh, in order to ensure w- which go from how we treat the comp- how we design the parts, how we treat the parts and during development our suppliers are treating the parts, the quality that our suppliers can guarantee to GM and, and at the end of the day what we can do in manufacturing both in the in the engine plant and, and vehicle plants in terms of uh, um, reliability and what we can offer to our customers. What we do, of course, and this is not just GM, but it's an industry standard, before before offering uh, the vehicle to our customers, there is intensive uh, fleet testing that we do, both dedicated, of course, these are fleet testing with vehicles that are of production um, or basically pre-production vehicles that are completely representative of what we will offer. We will do specific testing uh, Uh, including the different climatic conditions, but also uh, what we call uh, capsule fleets. So there are pre-production vehicles used by GM, experienced employees that accumulate mileage and uh, uh, give any warning that we we could get in order to correct anything uh, that is happening eventually and avoid any issue going into our customers' hands.
2: That sounds like the best job at GM. (laughs) Yeah,
1: it it is, it is, uh, uh, and uh, and it's uh, very, very important for the development teams for quality because uh, also, uh, first of all, the the drivers of these vehicles are uh, particularly empowered and they feel everybody, even if they're not working on the same program or working in maybe finance or purchasing, they really feel part of the development. This is a feedback that is really exceptionally helpful to um, ensure our quality standards are met.
4: Yeah, yeah, I like that. And it, that was you went strong into the reliability side of things. Can we can we push you down the durability road a little bit? What uh, what can you tell us about you know durability testing um, and how that affects the, the heavy duty platform?
1: Do, Durability testing on our engine is, uh, as we said before, is done on uh, based on some standards. We have uh, extensive testing and not just full power testing. I can give you as an example, we have testing that are, uh, say, testing at wide open throttle, but we not only test the wide open throttle condition. We have, for example, tests that are keeping the engine for thousands of hours, I would say, at, at low speed. Because the low speed is cold the temperature, and maybe we have to ensure the operabil- the engine can operate also low speed for for a long time. Okay. Then we have uh, tests that are, for example, shocking the engine with hot, uh, hot and cold um, operations. And this is also very, very important to ensure that no issues can happen for very long miles uh, even even for people that is say starting the engine at 0F and and warming up from there.
2: Very good. Very good. Thank Absolutely. you for that. Yeah. Yeah, you know because we get a ton of guys asking about low speed or idle uh with these and obviously in the past it's never we've never really considered that to be a stressful operation for a Duramax. Now that we have emissions equipment, it's kind of a whole new story where we're coaching guys on how to operate their trucks. City driving and low speeds. Or? Yeah,
4: they want to know what yes. they can do to bet to maximize their driving experience. You know, they know that you yeah. guys test for everything, but they want to do their part. You know, and yeah. if there's any advice you can offer them, I'm sure they would be open
1: to it. I would say that in general, this is something that, as a few years ago, one of the best achievement I think that the diesel community and its GM and non-GM has achieved is that we basically stop. Stop talking about the smoke. There's no more smoke. And this is due to the introduction of the particulate trap. Particulate trap is um, a sophisticated system that is accumulating the, uh, the PM, the carbon deposits, let's say, that the engine is naturally emitting and, and uh, regenerates, I mean, uh, can automatically uh, say, burn these deposits by artificially increasing the exhaust temperature. This is happening in the best way when the temperature, as we said before, the exhaust temperature is high. When the engine is a tidal and remain a tidal for a long time, it's extremely difficult to, to keep the temperature high enough. So the, the message that we could give to our customers, from especially to the customers that are used to do short driving uh, uh, patterns and a very low speed, long idling, is that it, it may be a little annoying, but for the um, if you hear, see the message, keep driving. Please keep driving. <laughs> <Basically>. <laughs> your 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 uh, your Chevrolet or GMC is not lying to you. <laughs> if you are to the extent, <laughs> if you are to the extent to get this message, please follow the message. Spend a few minutes driving.
2: And you'll be okay. I swear, I'm going to isolate that and just play it for every customer who calls in to ask about it. That was perfect. Absolutely. When it says keep driving, just keep driving. Yeah.
3: It's so yeah. simple. I
1: mean, it, the, the the vehicle is uh, is transparent. It's telling you. Hopefully, the truth. <laughs> yeah.
3: yeah. Well, you got a guy like Paul that lives two miles away and he doesn't let his truck start, uh, warm up in the morning. And he's driving, uh, you know, as fast as he can to work. Mm-hmm.
2: I, I, no, no, no. Hold on. I, I idle longer than I drive. Everybody knows that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yes. 20 minutes of idle,
2: four minutes of driving. That should clear it up.
4: You should not be buying this. Truck. No, 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 no. Um, no, uh,
1: clearly, clearly, for uh, for in, in extreme and intensive city traffic, one should ask to himself whether and and this is very general whether the diesel is the right choice or not and we have to be honest and transparent right
2: well speaking of who are some of the perfect people for a 2.8 liter like when you guys were were developing and testing this over the last several years and thinking about bringing it into the u.s market i'd imagine you had an ideal customer in mind who's this truck built for
1: Wow, this is a difficult question for a poor engine guy. <laughs> uh, I, I would apply, I, would apply, uh, I mean, uh, this the, the vehicle uh, um, is uh, a similar Colorado, you guys may know. Uh, There's a slightly different platform, but it's still a Colorado, and it's still a great Chevy badge vehicle. is built in Thailand. I would not say that for U.S. we target the customer, to be like in Thailand, when you can find in the, in the rear of the Colorado 10 people going to work, but uh, <laughs> uh, completely exposed. But yeah. in any case, I think that uh, in very simple, very, very simple words, my comment would be, it's somebody that desires uh, the flexibility, uh, the friendliness of a pickup truck without going into the Silverado um, dimension. Yeah. So there may be there may be uh, truckers who really don't need the, the Silverado, they, and maybe we can probably say cannot afford also the Silverado. Or and then we we said okay, let's offer the midsize, and and I think the the reaction of the public has been telling us that we were right.
4: I would agree uh, with you. There's been a strong reaction to that truck. I mean, it's strong it's very reaction. Popular. We
1: have uh, some diesel penetration, which is uh, expected. Of course, uh, uh, most of the volumes of Colorado and Canyon are on the gasoline engines. You know, we have the 2.5 and the, and the V6. Right. Uh, but the diesel is entering with quite significant uh, numbers and maybe a little more in the future. Um, customers are pretty happy about that. We have good feedbacks. And we're, of course, working to improve what we can for the next years.
3: I would say, personally, working with a lot of 2.8 customers, I've seen a lot of first-time diesel buyers own
4: them. Absolutely.
3: I've seen a lot of that, and I've also seen a lot of guys that own them that also have a full-size Duramax. Yeah.
2: Yeah, they they seem to be great daily drivers or somebody who... Like only tow something once in a great while, and it's a real light load. Like yeah. those guys seem yeah. to love it because the fuel mileage and the cost of ownership is lower than the gas stuff for for some guys, depending on your application.
1: Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah.
2: Now with the cruise in we, mind, we
1: went. Uh, we we didn't forget, of course, uh, just to jump in the the, the the trailer towing guys on the on the Colorado. The trailer towing is particularly, uh, I would say, for a medium-sized truck. If I recall correctly. Maybe the number is not uh, not it perfectly in my mind. We have at 13,000 gross combined, and, and this is covering the need of, of many customers. I, I've been also with the development team doing up and down as like an hour pass many times in uh, in the past to ensure that we can offer also from a mid-size truck the best possible performance for our customers.
4: Absolutely. I mean having towed with the Colorado, I was I was not expecting very much. You know, I've 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 had S10s in the past um in small trucks and I I put my uh, I put my Nova on a car trailer behind the uh, behind the Colorado just to see what mm-hmm. it was about and uh, I was impressed with it. it. It not only the the powertrain but the platform, the chassis itself felt very stable. Um I, I felt control in, in good control of the of the vehicle. Yeah. So even the braking it's with it, Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah, and listeners, if you guys want to check out that video, you can hit the Duramax Tuner YouTube channel. Just look for Colorado. Uh, Colorado it'll
4: Towing Test or something, something like that. Like that. Yeah.
2: yeah, it'll come up. There's a few of them. Okay, if we could jump back into the cruise real quick. You had said that this was designed yeah. for a little bit more of a, a sportiness. Are we seeing a power increase as the new cruises are coming back to the market with a new engine? Uh,
1: I'm not sure I can share all. Okay. Um, so far, I think that if you drive this vehicle, uh, you'll see. unless you did it already, you'll find the power adequate. Uh, There may be evolutions uh, coming. Remember, it's just a 1.6, poor guy.
4: Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the (laughs) earlier cruises that we tuned, Paul, I want to say 240 foot-pounds was... That's very fun to drive in a car that size, dude. The cruise was one of my favorites that we've had here
2: for for being somebody else's vehicle and like not a sled pull drag race <laughs> truck. Because <laughs> we do, we get a lot of daily driver vehicles in here from customers or other vendors that want us to play with them. And yeah. uh, the cruise was just so damn comfortable. It just really was. Yeah, it's yeah, a, a nice
4: cruiser. Yeah,
1: it is a uh, really a vehicle that is uh, fun to drive, uh, comfortable. Very nice vehicle in both inversion, also hatchback, who is available. And uh, uh, we expect some success up to, there, yeah. up to that vehicle.
3: Well, it makes a lot of sense why we don't see these vehicles until you do some testing in other test markets because of our stringent and strict laws. So it was really cool to hear your side of it, uh, knowing why we don't yeah. see it until later on.
4: Yeah. 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 Um, I'm gonna I, I have one more thing I want to jump into on the l5 p and maybe you can maybe you can talk about it maybe not um, the so the back to the after treatment system um, yeah. does question one would be the the ninth injector was previously used on the Lml trucks is that still a strategy you guys are using is the is the hydrocarbon injector specifically for the exhaust
1: yes for both uh, for both the trucks uh, the two point eight and the six point six we have uh, in this case the ninth and the other is the fifth but we have the injector um, to uh, in order to enable to help i would say the dpf regeneration okay two main reasons first of all um, you will see you see that the the architecture of the exhaust foresees DOC, then the scr with the the urea the DEF injection and the particulate trap is at the very end so Potentially, it could get colder because it's more far from the source of the heat from the engine. So with the injection of of additional fuel, just upstream the the, the DPS, the particular filter, which has a built-in catalyst as well, we can ensure that the regeneration temperature in the area of 600 degrees is achieved easily. In addition, we can operate the regeneration Counting more on this post-injection outside the engine rather than um, pushing to the extreme uh, the post-injection inside the engine and injecting fuel in proximity to the bottom dead center, uh, which is uh, of course something that uh, possibly we have to reduce.
4: Right, right. We ring washout and crankcase fuel. (laughs) Like, exactly that kind of thing. Okay,
1: and on a large engine, this is more, uh, even more important. But I would say the, the more, the most important is that due to the most important reason why we keep it is that due to the architecture, the, the particular trap is at the very end. We need to keep it hot, and and we need additional fuel uh, to to regenerate it and to make the regeneration shorter, also.
4: Yeah, yeah we like to hear that all right um, regeneration cycles are one of the biggest questions we get asked by customers who call in um, you know does does tinkering with the truck uh, make the regeneration cycles you know more more often right so that's their big question they're asking us my you know my concern or my question for for GM would be it seems like every platform we've seen on the Duramax as it moves forward on more strict emissions laws um, is is one a bigger Particulate trap seems like every every generation gets a bigger particulate trap, and it seems like our distance between regen cycles and our propensity for passive regen goes up every generation. Um, would that be a reasonable thing to say about the L 5 p as well?
1: Uh, I would say yes. Of course, we try to we try to keep the regeneration interval as uh, as long as possible. But more than that, more uh, because at the end of the day, it is fuel consumption. Uh, it's a it's a balance, of course, between uh, ensuring that the, the the trap doesn't get overloaded, which is absolutely our must number one, and of course the number the the the, the way that we can trade on emission of soot and the need of uh, regeneration, uh, regenerating the trap not so frequently. What is, however, our goal uh, is to possibly avoid any impact to, to the customer. So the customer should not care about the regeneration. It's something that is happening. is something that is taking care of the particular trap. The only, I would say, as we discussed it before, the only real interaction of the customer with the regeneration could be when, uh, in case of the keep driving message come up, and this is the only real interaction that we are forced to ask to our customers to have with the, the regeneration criteria.
4: Yeah, yeah, we like that. I mean, we like to have the seamless system. Of course, some customers are very curious people, you know, and they want to know what's <laughs> yes. going on in the truck and how often it's regenerating and how it's impacting yeah. their fuel, and we all, have to them. All the customers, <laughs> I would say.
1: Yeah. It, it very much depends on, on the driving style, I would say. The, the more the customer is driving, say, I, in a highway mode and constant speed and keeping temperature up because of, uh, uh, say, uh, r- running the engine is use of uh, um, quite high level of, of power, then the regeneration may be less frequent. Um, in, in if instead that we, have, we are doing, for example, frequent uh, uh, wide open throttle acceleration and uh, and then um, longer period tidal, then, of course, the regeneration can happen um, More frequently.
4: Yeah, so. Beat on your
2: truck, right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) He knew I was going to say it, (laughs) yes. Beat on your truck, drive aggressively.
4: What can you tell us about passive regen on this system? Is that, uh, I mean, let's say a guy has a a trailer behind his vehicle and he's operating at high load on the highway. Um, Can he expect to.
1: There is a a balance. We do have some passive regeneration in the system, of course. Uh, It happens when the temperature is. uh, is high enough. We can do in, enable some passive regeneration without the need of post injection. However, we have to say that when running with uh, high temperature and towing, for example, um, the engine is also using uh, power, a lot of power. Then also, of course, the emission of uh, uh, the the smoke emission is also slightly higher. Sure. A- and in this case, this uh, is not really. Uh, bringing uh, the, the the interval to let's say one thousand miles. Okay, the, so it's the, a wash. The, the regener- exactly, it's a wash. The regeneration is happening naturally, but in the in the meantime, we are also accumulating a little more soot because of the utilization of the power. So the, the, the two, it, it's a wash. Yeah, good, good insight.
4: Good insight.
2: Yeah, well, I think the the odd thing here is that for. All of diesel's existence, we've been told, EGTs are bad. So get your exhaust gas temperatures down, mm-hmm. bring cold air in, get hot air out, and that'll do it. And like, that's what every customer who calls in to talk to us wants to talk about: is how can I get my EGTs down? Yeah. Um, I've noticed OEMs in no year of any Duramax ever have they put an EGT probe on the exhaust manifold, which is where we do it in the aftermarket world. How do you guys measure stress on the motor? Like, what factors into that?
1: If it's not, first of not all, I think. This EGT is a is a good is a big portion of that, Uh, and um, unfortunately there is there are different needs during the engine development. The after treatment would like to be to remain hot, but not too hot. Okay, because 600 degrees are good, 800 are not. So this this is the difficulty that we have. We the the exhaust temperature. we have, for example, in the turbocharger, we are in the area of exhaust gases entering the turbo in the area of the 800 degrees, okay, on a diesel engine. You can have a constant to, if I'm not wrong, to 780 degrees. This is what you can handle continuously. Peaks are accepted above 800 degrees, and this is how we develop too. So we, need, we do, during the development, which is both on dyno and on vehicles, we de- do control that in no one case we exceed this specified limit in order to guarantee the due reliability. So I would say, uh, to give you a number, we, we can accept some uh, exhaust temperature, as you said, in the exhaust manifold, so upstream the turbine, in the area of 820, 810 degrees, uh, Occasionally, it cannot be a continuous operation. And this is how we develop the calibration, how we develop the hardware. And and, and this is, I would say, uh, quite standard throughout all our diesels. There's not big difference uh, between the MDE, so the 1.6, the 2.8, uh, and the 6.6, uh, the big Duramax. The criteria are more or less the same. One thing is the engine on the dyno, where we have to control it uh, uh, in a relatively easy way. One thing is an, an engine going wide open up by an hour pass, right. where <laughs> you, you may have a little bit of help uh, from the ambient temperature, of course, because it's not uh, <laughs> in, the, in the not hundred F, but but maybe a little lower. But on the end of the day, also the under hood temperature is can become uh, uh, critical. Critical. So we have to control the 800 degrees also in that condition and also the ambient air is not always entering the compressor exactly at the ambient air we have some effect where when the air is going through the air cleaner their filter box it gets heated and, and then it it's a chain you know we're going to the compressor already hotter than the ambient then it's compressed so the temperature can go up a lot then enter into the engine and we have the combustion at the end of the day, this is a matter of very long and extensive testing, especially for the trucks in areas like, as I said, the days in our past, and specific tuning in order not to exceed the durability reliability parameters.
4: Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful, man I mean, I, you just made a really good case for a hood scoop. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I just want to jump in really quick here and just uh, so Nicola's talking in 800 degrees centigrade. Um, so, for our listeners keeping track, that's 1450, 1470 on the Fahrenheit side. So, just
1: yeah, actually, 1436 uh, should not be exceeded in continuous uh, operation, never.
4: I appreciate you sharing that information <laughs> with us and our listeners. That is that is good to hear from the horse's mouth. Absolutely. I,
1: I don't think, to be honest, it's just GM it's sort of industry standards because um, there is some kind of. Uh, I mean, we in, we do not go to—gasoline uh, turbocharged engines go much higher, as you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the diesels, this is the range that we normally deal with.
2: Is, is there some sort of concern about parts not being able to sustain efficiency at that? Is it that the turbo won't be able to compress air efficiently over that temperature? Where do you think the drop-off is or the, the risk is of operating above that? What's the first failure no.
1: point? No, no. Functionally, it's okay. I mean, um, it works. Uh, And the exhaust side, we have a very high resistance cast iron and the turbine, even higher resistance the wheel. Uh, Compressor side, we have aluminum, aluminum housing, and we have a cooled turbocharger, by the way, in order to avoid any shock. In case of a soak, this is extremely important, the turbocharger. But uh, for this kind of temperatures, we are not seeing the performance degradation. We simply would say these are thresholds that are dictated by quality reliability criteria for our customers. Very good to know.
3: Copy. So what you thought previously um about a diesel it's a lot different nowadays
2: yeah well how many guys call in dandy and say my truck's operating at, at 1150 degrees and i'm really worried about the reliability of it and we, we generally scoff that off you know kind of explain to them yeah, how EGT's if it didn't were. have an after
4: treatment on it it'd be one thing right, right. but if it has an after treatment yeah. on it you have to yeah. expect it to try and get to a certain temperature and then yeah. if it exceeds then be worried right right
1: but, but yeah. a
4: thousand degrees or 1100 fahrenheit is nothing to worry yeah. about yeah
1: uh, uh, first of all, when talking about temperatures, we you may have seen that in our in our uh, uh, after treatment system, in the manifold, we have many exhaust temperature sensors. the, the temperature, of course, is going uh, from the hottest point, uh, forgetting the combustion chamber. Of course, we have uh, this 800 degrees or 1436. We have been talking about so far going down while the gas goes through the DOC the, the, the this the SCR the, the PM and and leaving uh, and leaving the exhaust to, to the open air at the end so there's uh, of course so that the temperature is gradually reducing while uh, going to the uh, to the outside yeah. so we have to and and, and I mean sometimes I, I friendly call our exhaust system in the end, which is very similar if you if you see the Colorado Canyon uh, with uh, the 2.8 or the Silverado. Sierra with with the 6.6, we have five exhaust um, temperature sensors in the line plus two on the engine. These are needed, not just because we need to control the temperature, but because through these temperature measurements, supported by analytical mathematical models, we guarantee emission and diagnostic compliance. So most of them are used for diagnostic uh, reasons in order to be compliant with the EPA and CARB rules, which means if some of the uh, catalyst is not efficient, we see something unexpected in how the temperature, um, the temperatures develop, and then we send a warning. So most of these are required for diagnostic reasons.
4: Interesting, interesting that's that's curious yeah yeah that's a
2: lot to chew on there as we're starting to think about it right because i know that i like i'm thinking of three
4: egt probes in the lml right so four, um,
3: four i'm thinking I four mean, four banks that you can pull up on the edge at least yeah, right yeah i
4: mean it's just neat to know that the system is looking for certain temperature drops during certain operations and if it's not yep. seeing those uh you know that, that it can troubleshoot itself
1: Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly how the diagnostic works. And uh, it's needed in order to guarantee our compliance and uh, to, to the laws because, the, to be honest with you, the calibration of the engine is becoming a little portion. The most difficult portion and challenging and where we have, uh, I would say, great advantage is the diagnostics. Diagnostics are, is in this latest emission, um, requirements that we have in the u.s are very very stringent not only we have to meet emission levels we have to meet the diagnostic level and we have to be able to demonstrate that we're able to monitor and diagnose and and basically get any malfunction of any of the systems this is why we have what we i call the chemical reactor behind the behind our engine we have exhaust temperature sensors we have nox sensors Upstream and downstream, the SCR. We have a suit sensor and we have a delta pressure sensor on the on the DPF, and, and they all work together. <laughs> <laughs> I
3: hope. Yeah. yeah. As the <laughs> trucks get newer, the um, emissions equipment gets better, and the more data trouble codes we have, the easier it is to diagnose a problem. and God forbid if there is one. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think that, you know, as, as obviously Nick, Danny, and
2: I are from the aftermarket world with diesels, we kind of wonder sometimes about GM. Um, do you guys, like, is aftermarket diesel performance on GM's radar? Does anybody in the development process know what sled pulling is or ever watch diesel drag racing? Are you guys taking note of what we're working on?
1: We are giving an eye. I am I'm personally have to tell you I'm not completely completely aware of uh, of, uh, what you're asking, we, um, I I was making fun, I would say that with this latest Duramax generation, we make the life a little more difficult (laughs) because we are much higher in performance uh, than we were before. So for whoever wants to enhance the performance of karma current Duramax, it will be more difficult <laughs> yeah yeah we've
4: noticed that you, your your driver's wish uh you know uh, the truck is much more responsive acts a lot more like a tuned uh, you know a, a tuned version of the previous <laughs> generation
1: it's tuned by by uh, tuned by homeroom
2: <laughs> I love that well you know I mean it, it does make me curious because in the aftermarket world obviously here we've worked on twin turbo emissions equipped <clears throat> projects uh, Danny you drove clean sweep all year last year built trans and and modified turbo and things like that and so we always kind of wonder you know are we gonna are we gonna have to start competing with the OEM or are we always going to just be able to improve on what you guys have given us
4: yeah I mean ideally I think we work together as a a, you know, we, the LML, for instance, right, the clean sweep, we take a 360-horsepower a truck and we nearly double its output. I mean, the L5P, I mean, you know what the guys in the aftermarket are looking at already. This thing's nasty right out of the gate. How much more power can I add to this truck? The overhead. What's the overhead? What's the overhead? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what's left, right? What? Uh, what's the durability test tell us? Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's part of the buyer's uh, consideration, you know, is what it boils down to, and it's, uh, it's something. Yeah, right. yeah. In. Uh,
1: if we if we need to 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 climb the Mount Everest uh, with this version of the Duramax, uh, we are at base camp three. <laughs> so. <laughs> so there's some overhead. <laughs> but a little bit. That's the... No, I mean uh, clearly. I'm I'm not sure. To be honest, the race to maximum power will continue in future. Uh, personally, I'm not sure. Uh, everybody, we, we and all the competition, always going up, up, up in power. Is this what, uh, at the end of the day, in the future, our customers want? I, I'm, I'm not really sure.
2: These customers, so we have to
1: do. be very, yeah. very, <laughs> very <laughs> careful um, to to monitor uh, this. Uh, uh, the, how, what the customer will desire and will, will have in future. We may have uh, uh, something additional to offer and more power, but. We're trying to develop other ideas inside GM how to offer additional performance.
2: Well, that's just awesome. Nicola. we really appreciate your time so much today. We know how busy you are and uh, how many important things you're working on. Any last notes that you'd like to give our listeners about the Cruise 2.8 liter or new L5P project?
1: I, got one. I mean, okay. uh, we, we are now on the market uh, with these uh, uh, three vehicles. Uh, there is a lot of uh, Commonality work that that we have done. We work, as you may know, the diesel home room is in Torino, Italy. But we have, say, great cross ocean, cross Atlantic ocean work in order to ensure that engines that have been originally developed in Europe are suitable. I'm talking about the two, the two smallest are suitable for United States very soon. Uh, and probably have seen already announced that there will be additional dealers coming to the coming to the uh, to, to the U.S. market. Uh, the Equinox I mentioned with the 1.6, and in uh, the van, the van uh, has been using in the past the, uh, the the Duramax engine, and you will see it pretty soon uh, with the 2.8. A little bit of downsizing, if you want. Uh, from 6.6 to 2.8 um, for professional users, for normally uh, van drivers.
4: Yeah, we've seen the sprinter market, so that's that, makes, mean, that sense. makes
2: Makes yeah. a ton of sense. LGHs are are a hassle anyways, to be honest with you. I it's mean, it, a lot of motor for a van. It is, yeah. They run yeah. into that.
1: Uh, I would say that with the lineup that uh, we are offering today, Chevrolet, uh is probably offering today a really broad portfolio of diesel of diesel vehicles we include uh, the range the, the suv compact car mid-size full-size uh heavy duty truck and uh we're very proud of this and uh, we we believe to be on the market with the right products and uh, we continue to develop and to have the outlook for the te- diesel technology that, that at the end of the day despite going through a quite difficult period, if you want, it remained really the most efficient way to bring thermal uh, energy into mechanical work. And uh, that's what we are doing and will be continuing to do.
4: Yeah, I'm glad to hear that. Glad to hear you're passionate about it. I mean, it's, uh, it's exciting to hear GM continuing to move forward on these platforms
1: is of course we are moving forward in all the other directions as well but uh, this is uh, for truckers and, and for commercial users and for passenger cars this is a really uh, a, a really attractive uh, alternative and we have the expertise in the diesel engines we built millions um, only the trucks were here in the united states for a few years were coming with more products and uh, we have uh, all the knowledge that is needed in U.S. and in other countries that contribute. The other countries where GM has development centers which are contributing to, this, uh, to the quality and uh, the success of these products.
2: Preaching to the choir. I love it, man. I love it. We are excited over here. Um, again, thank you so much for your time. This has been so insightful for our listeners.
3: It's very apparent why they pay you the big bucks over there at GM. So.
1: <laughs> Thank <laughs> you very much. It We've was a, a pleasure for me to was a pleasure for me, guys.
2: Well listeners, uh, this has been Paul Wilson. I'm Danny Voss and Nick Pregnitz.
0: Thanks for listening. Calibrated Power Solutions, the leading North American developer of clean diesel power and home of DuramaxTutor.com, is the proud sponsor of the Diesel Performance Podcast. Calibrated Power develops emissions equipped tunes for a wide variety of diesel powertrains, including the Duramax, Cummins, Jeep, John Deere, and many more. For more information and the best customer service in the industry, check out calibratedpower.com or call 815 568 7920. That's 815 568 7920. To reach out to the Diesel Performance Podcast, send us a message through Facebook or email paul at duramaxtuner.com or danny at duramaxtuner.com.
1: Thank you. Thanks uh, for this opportunity. Good morning, uh, Nicola Menarini. I'm Italian.